0: So, two weeks ago, I was at a funeral. I thought this would be a cheerful way to start. Um, it was a funeral for my great-auntie Mary. Um, great because she was, but great because she was my dad's auntie. When she died, she was 108 years old. And she loved Jesus. So, it is a cheerful way to start in one sense, because she'd lived a good, full life life, and she loved Jesus. She had a tough life. She grew up in an orphanage. She went through both world wars. Uh, But, you know, when you met her, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know that she'd had a hard life. She was full of joy. She was very cheerful. And at the funeral, one of her quotes was read out. She'd been singing one of her favourite hymns, and the hymn, I won't sing it, but I will tell you what the words are. I don't know the tune. I don't know the tune. Uh, the, the, the hymn went, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings. I probably do really know <laughs> it. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And at the end of singing that hymn, she turned to the, uh, I think it was my uncle, who was with her, and said, we don't do that anymore, do we? We count our troubles rather than our blessings. We count our troubles rather than our blessings. Really struck me when she said, or when that was read out at the funeral. And today we are back after a couple of weeks break, into the book of Habakkuk and Habakkuk had some troubles and today we get to see how he reacted to them how well or otherwise if you've read it you'll know but how well he reacted to those so let's read the passage it is Habakkuk chapter 1 it's not going to come up on the screen because there's quite a lot of it and I couldn't fit it all on without it getting really small or going over lots of pages so I gave up (laughs) so it's Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 into chapter 2 up to verse 5 let's read that now are you not from everlasting O Lord my God my Holy One we shall not die O Lord you have ordained them as a judgment and you O Rock have established them for reproof you who are purer Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shill. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Now, I don't have time to, do, to go through everything that's in that passage. There's a huge amount in there. And on first reading, you, you read Habakkuk and you think, what, what are we going to do with this? But actually, as you read it more, you think, wow, how can I fit all this in? We've seen so far that the nation of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of the two kingdoms as they split, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, uh, they're divided and they're not in a good way. They've been rebelling against God. They've been worshipping other gods. And the first thing that struck me from that is, I think we often read that and we say, oh, they were worshipping other gods. At least we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Do we? It just, this isn't really the point I'm making this morning. This is just something that I, I thought as I read it. They were very obvious in the gods that they worshipped. They set up altars. They had poles and they made sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. Actually, it's more dangerous for us. It's a lot more subtle. It's what takes up our time. It's what it's what distracts us from God. It it there's all sorts of things. I would probably suggest that while we're not worshipping another religion's God. We have gods that we worship. And um, I'm just going to leave that there for you to ponder, because that's not really my point today. But I just wanted to throw that in there as part of it, because it was too big a thing to to just gloss over um, but let's look, let's look out for that. Let's not be quick to judge these guys in this. Let's look at it ourselves um, and take heed that we're not falling into the same traps as them. Um, because if we are, then God needs to deal with us. Um, which maybe he won't do in the same way as he did with them, but he will deal with it. Habakkuk has been complaining to God. Because the Assyrians have come and oppressed them and and fought against them. And Israel, uh, Judah, uh, the nation of Judah have been losing the battles. And he complained about it. And God's response, as we saw last time, was, you think that's bad? I'm now sending the Babylonians and they're worse and they're going to judge you as well. And Habakkuk saying, well, how can you use these unrighteous people to judge people who are more righteous than them? And he kind of got a point because there were some who were still faithful in Judah. But God actually said, well, that's what I'm doing. And Rob spoke last time and Rob spoke on God. I don't understand you. How can you do this? But God said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And so today what we come to is Habakkuk's response to this. He's just heard it's bad and it's getting worse. And now he responds to God. But I want to pick out a couple of things in the passage first to explain, because there are some strange pictures in here. So before we go on to some of the response, let me just highlight a couple of bits here. Um, so first, he acknowledges who God is. I mean, that's an obvious bit. He says, you're still God. OK, you've decided to do this, but you're still God. And we'll come to that more in a moment. Then in verse 14, he talks about fish and things like that, which is kind of strange and he's actually saying that god is allowing mankind to be just like mere animals he's allowing them to be like just like fish in the sea he's he's allowing them to be something less than they really are and habakkuk's this is habakkuk's complaint to god he's, he's saying you're allowing us to be like this what well, what are you doing he's really bold in his response he's he's really taking it to god And you'll notice as you read through Habakkuk, God doesn't condemn Habakkuk for that. Habakkuk is at liberty to take his response to God, whatever that response is. And I think God likes that honesty when we go to him with our complaint, not whinging and moaning, but actually go to him and say, God, I don't get this. Why is this happening? He knows we feel like that anyway. So let's just be honest with God and voice it to him. And that's what Habakkuk's doing there. And he's saying, I don't get the way you're allowing us to be like mere animals here. In verse 15, then um, the he in this verse is referring to Babylon. Okay, so when it says in verse 15, he brings all of them up with a hook, he's referring to, to, to what Babylon are doing and what Assyria have been doing. We know that because he talks about he in the previous verse. He says, we are more righteous than he. So then he says, he brings all of them up with a hook. Well, that could be just that he's capturing them like we capture fish with a hook. But they didn't do hook fishing then. They did net fishing. And that's what he refers to next. He says, you gather the, 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 the baddies, the Assyrians and the Babylonians are gathering us all up in their nets and dragging us off. But often, the way slaves were treated when they were captured, they'd have a hook put through their nose and they'd be led off into captivity. It was painful and it was humiliating. So, what he's saying is, God, you're allowing us to be utterly humiliated here. What are you doing? It's horrible. And then in verse sixteen it talks about the Babylonians making sacrifices to their net. What's meant there is the fact that when you when they made a sacrifice in those days, it was to a God, it was to their God. And their God, in this case, was their military might. They were invincible, they were were just taking captive large swathes of people and land. And they made sacrifice to their net. What he's saying here is they rely on their military might. They don't serve God. They don't know God. They're not interested in God. They're only interested in their military might. And so he's, he's saying to God, look, them. this is who they are. Why are you dealing with these people? Why are you allowing them to judge us? And God then answers Habakkuk, and we'll have a look at that in a moment. But the first, I just wanted to explain those few points because they were maybe some of the more confusing, some of the more confusing language in, in that passage What I really want to come to now is Habakkuk's response. The way Habakkuk responds to God. You see, I found this quite interesting because he doesn't respond the way I respond to adversity. Habakkuk, when he's told the Babylonians are coming, it's going to get worse. Habakkuk says this. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my holy one. The very thing, first thing that Habakkuk does when he's presented with these problems, presented with the fact that the suffering is getting worse, is he worships. He worships God. It's astonishing. He knows the reputation of the Babylonians because we've seen some of that. He knows what's coming. He knows they're going to suffer. He knows there will be physical pain, psychological pain. He knows this could be the end of God's people as a nation. But he worships. He says, God, you are still God and you are worthy of worship. No matter what the circumstances. This is what counting your blessings is instead of counting your troubles. He went, I've still got blessings because God's still God and I'm still his. And he's still faithful to me. Wow. How often do we respond like that? Who else in the Old Testament does that remind you of? Anybody? Job. It reminds me of Job because in Job chapter one, we see Job being told that all his property has suddenly been destroyed. Not only that, all his children have just been killed as well. Talk about an issue, a problem, a setback. Just utterly everything that Job knows around him has just been wiped out. What is his response? Job chapter one, verses 20 and 21. He says this, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If that had happened to me, I am not convinced that that is the way I would respond. I'm not sure I would. I'm just being honest. I think one of my children is saying, no, you definitely wouldn't respond like that. (laughs) And I'm not saying that because that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's not the way we should respond. We sing that song, don't we? There's another song in here. Wow, I must have been feeling quite musical. (laughs) We sing a song. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will always say, Lord, blessed be your name. It comes from Job. How often have we sung it without realizing what that actually means? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for me? i 'm not sure I, i'm not I might get onto one of my soap boxes. We sing a lot of songs and we sing the words pretty glibly sometimes I think, without really realizing what i 'm singing. I sing that, blessed be your name, Lord, you give and take away, you take what you like, and i 'll bless your name yeah. will I maybe we sing it in faith maybe that's, maybe that 's what it is, and that 's a good thing. <clears throat> But is that my response to bad news? Well, I can tell you from my experience, no. God's got a lot of work to do with me in that. When Rob talked about, God, I don't understand you. When we don't understand God, what is our response? Mine is usually to list all the ways that God has got it wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I'm saying, isn't it? If I'm complaining about it, if I'm saying this isn't right and that's not right. I'm saying, God, this is you've got this wrong. It's outside of your plan. It's, it's not what should be happening. Suddenly I'm. Suddenly he's not God for me. I, that's really the only logical conclusion from that kind of whinging and moaning. I can say this because I, I've been there and I've done it. Um, we're saying God's not God. The truth is nothing is outside of God's plan. Whatever you are going through, whatever I am going through and been through, our response should not be to say, God, what are you doing? Our response should be saying, you're God and I will worship you. Oh, how often we fall short of this. So what do we do about it? When you think of, uh, as we're heading into the warm weather, And some of you may grow things in your garden. I do. Mainly weeds. (coughs) I've got lots of weeds and brambles and things in my garden. I've got some raspberries. They just seem to do what they want and produce raspberries. I don't do anything with them. Um, They're just brilliant. That's the kind of plant I like. But if you think, I've got an apple tree in my garden. And every year it grows and every year it produces apples. I've got a plum tree bush thing. And it produces plums. It just does it. I don't water it. I don't tend to it. I don't do anything with it. And when you look at trees and you look at, say, seedlings, if you fail to water a seedling, it soon withers and dies. But trees don't. Can you imagine some of the massive trees that you can see outside. Can you imagine having to water those? What a nightmare. So how is it that they survive without being watered? The tree isn't affected by changes in the weather, not really, not small changes, the normal changes. It takes a long, it takes a drought to really kill off a tree, a long drought. And the reason is it draws water from deep, not from the surface. It's not affected by what's going on on the surface. It's affected by what's deep, deep down. It draws its water from deep down. So day-to-day doesn't matter. It has a deep source of nourishment because a tree is big and mature and it's been there a long time and it's dug down deeply. Are we affected by the vagaries of day-to-day life? Are we affected by our troubles and our problems in ways that we shouldn't be? Are we Are we like the seedlings and the plants that need constant attention or do we have a deep source of nourishment? Do we have a maturity in our relationship with God that allows us to draw water from deep? Jesus meets a woman in the New Testament at a well, says, I have got water you don't know anything about. It's deep because he had that deep, mature relationship with his father. God sustains us. We need to put down deep roots in him with the discipline of knowing God's word, with connecting with him in prayer and with spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that we can do it. It's the only way that we will do it. We need to draw deeply from him. It's the only way that we will be able to respond the same as Habakkuk. We can't make ourselves do it. We can't do it. It's not an act of the will. I can't say, right, from now on, I'm going to respond well. It's not going to work. Because that's, that's just, that's, that's law. That's, that's legalism. There should be a freedom in it. Because we're drawing from deep. Now, What that doesn't mean is that we won't be affected by the things we go through. We will be. It will knock us. It will hurt us. There will be times of anguish, of crying, of seeking God, of saying, God, why is this happening? But it will be accompanied by worship. You see, Habakkuk did complain. He said, God, why are you doing this? It's not that we can't complain. This isn't... Not expecting this to be totally unrealistic and and saying and ignoring our troubles, we we can't ignore them. They're real and God has allowed them, so they're there for a reason. But actually, what we're saying is, God, I, I want you to do something. I want you to teach me. I want to know what you're doing in me through these troubles. But also, I know it's you. I know you're still God. I'm going to worship you because I'm drawing from something deep. That's what we're doing. And I think some of us as well. I loved, Jill, what you said. I, I, as, you, as you said it, I was quickly typing it into my notes so I didn't forget it. God isn't finished with you. God hasn't taken a step back from you. If you're going through a tough time, it's not because God's moved away. It's actually because God's doing something. He's active in you. So that's the way. When, when in the New Testament it says... There's joy in suffering. So I've left my notes behind. When there's joy in suffering, it's not. Oh, goody, I'm suffering. And I think I've said this before. I seem to have spoken a lot on suffering recently. It's actually, oh, joy. God is working in me. I don't like what is happening. But I'll allow God to form something in me through it. That's what it's about. Verse 12 um, Some of your Bibles may say, um, uh, You shall not die. Well, it actually, the, the original says, We shall not die. And so, what Habakkuk is saying there is, however bad it gets, I'm still God's, and they can't have my soul. Wow. We shall not die. Yes. Okay? Whatever you're going through today, you shall not die. Amen. You will live. Yeah. Actually, you'll be better off for it. And I want you to know that I've completely lost where I am in my notes, <laughs> but hey, who cares? I'm not saying this with no experience Two years ago, me and my family, some of you will know, went through the toughest time of our lives ever. And I can tell you that I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand it. And I kind of questioned whether God had got it right. (laughs) Stupid boy. (laughs) With two years on, kind of starting to understand some of it. I don't understand all of it. and still have bad days. But God's used it and used it well and it does end the suffering does end and you come out of it and go wow I would never have seen that I would never have seen that coming how wow Wow." for a start I wouldn't be standing here talking to you today and I don't know about you but I'm enjoying this (laughs) (laughs) so The first thing that we need to understand is about Habakkuk's response. That's what that was about. Yeah. Second thing is God is sovereign. God will choose who he uses and how he does things. Why? Because he's God, and it's his show, it's his story Verse 13, we see the the main part of Habakkuk's complaint saying, God, how can you even look on the Babylonians, let alone use them? This is outrageous. How can you use them to judge Judah when, okay, we're bad, but we're still better than them? This is really hard, isn't it? That God uses situations that we think are unjust. He does. It's my experience. You look at it and you go, that's not fair. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen here. Why has that happened there? Why has that person done that? And the hard bit is that we know it's happened because God's allowed it. And you think, why, God, why have you allowed that to happen? It doesn't make sense. Surely there was a better way. Surely, you know, I I thought of loads of better ways about the way my circumstances could have gone. Do you know what I do then? I set myself up as God. There, there's some idol worship and believe me, I am not. <laughs> I don't... But that's what we do, isn't it? When we say, actually, God, hang on a minute. I can think of a better way. Yeah. We're setting ourselves up as God. That's pride. That's what caused the fall. That's that original sin still there. That's, that's our veering to the flesh instead of turning to God when it gets hard. But you know what God says? There's only one way, and it's my way. He does it gently. In my experience, very gently. And I don't know why God does things the way he does them. I need to trust him, because if I don't trust God with the way he's doing things, then I'm saying he's not God. And that's not right. (laughs) That's a dangerous thing to say. Just as a, I guess, a slight aside, but I think an important thing. We're looking at a principle here rather than just this situation. So in this situation, Judah had done wrong and were being punished. But what we're looking at here is the principle. What I'm not saying is that because you may be going through a tough time and a hard time, that it's because you've done something wrong. You may have done and God may be drawing you back and he will do that. But please don't hear that automatically from what I'm saying. You may be going through a tough time because God had to use tough circumstances to change your situation because it was the only way it would have changed. In My, my experience was that there is no way my circumstances would have changed if God hadn't intervened the way he had. And to be honest, just for me to even be able to say it like that has taken two years. It it changes and God changes you. And I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying that God is judging you today. I'm not saying that. We're looking at the principle here that God uses tough times and suffering to show you his sovereignty, to show you his love, his discipline, which if when I At some point I've spoken over the last few months, I talked about discipline and discipleship being the same thing, same word. We're disciplined. Well, actually, we're discipled. So God's taking you through tough times. He's discipling you, which means he's making you more like Jesus. If you remember, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they went into the desert, which is a hard time. They hadn't done anything wrong at that point. They'd done everything right. They'd come out. They'd, they'd come out. They'd done what, what God wanted them to, to come out and into the desert. So even before they rebelled, God was using a tough situation to run away from the Egyptians, to be on foot on the, in the desert. Things can be tough even when we've not done anything wrong. But we need to know God's discipleship. And we need to know that he's sovereign. What you're going through is not outside of his plan. What you're going through is not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise. He knows it and he's got an end in sight for it. He's got a completion for it. He's got a time where you will once again say, hey, that's behind me. There might be other stuff in the future. But there will be a point where it's behind you. Because God is sovereign and God is in control. So what does Habakkuk do next? We've seen that he responds well. We've seen that God is sovereign. What happens next? Well, chapter two, verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint." Habakkuk's strategy is, I'll wait. I will wait and I will watch for what God does. Our problem, I think, as society now, as people now, is that we don't like waiting. We want everything fixed right now. Hopefully no one from where I work listens to this. I don't think they will. Well, no, I, I hope they do. I don't mind. That'd be good. <laughs> maybe but i'm in a job i don't know <laughs> it's a danger when you don't read what's on the- i i'm in a job that it's a good job and i'm not complaining about it i was i've stopped complaining about it but i'd like to move on but at the moment it seems i've got to wait oh i don't like waiting uh, my wife will tell you, I don't even like waiting for birthday presents. I usually buy it in the summer. My birthday's in December. <laughs> I see something, I think, I'd like that for my birthday. Oh, I'll get it. Um, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting for answers. I don't like waiting for an answer on what's going to happen with my job. I, I don't like that. But you know what? Ever since hearing that quote from my great auntie Mary about counting my blessings and not my troubles a few weeks ago, I've said, God, you've spoken to me. I need to change my attitude here. Yeah. I need to count... My blessings. Yes, I will go to God and say, God, I'd like you to sort this out, but I'll do that second. First, I will go, God, you've given me a job. You've given me a wife and children and a family. You've given me a roof over my head. You've given me a fantastic church family. And I can go on and on for a long time on what God has blessed me with. I can. And I have to do that. And then I have to wait and see what God is going to do concerning the next bit, concerning my complaint, as Hamburg puts it. But not only does he have to wait for an answer, but when the answer comes, well, let's look. Chapter two, verses two to five. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. God says, I know what's coming. But you're still going to have to wait for it. The Babylonians are coming, but I'll decide when. You just wait because it's in my good and perfect timing. And this is brilliant. If it seems slow, this is verse three. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. If you think the answer from God has del- been delayed, it hasn't. God's going to get the timing exactly right. God's never too early. He's never too late. He never delays because delay means something's derailed it. And it never does. It's, the timing is perfect. Every time, without fail. And if you think it's not, let me just suggest it might be your timing that's not quite right. (laughs) God says to Habakkuk, write this down. The answer is wait. Wait. There's more to be done yet. There's more to happen yet. There's more for you to learn. There's more for you to go through. Timing is everything. Timing is key. Everything in its right time and its right place. We're often impatient because we don't know or understand God's bigger plan. I look back at the last two years and I'm astonished at the changes in my life. Um, I'm astonished at what God's done. And if it had been left to me, none of it would have happened. And I know because I'm starting to have more faith for the fact that it is going to have done me good. It's going to have been the best for me. I still find that hard to say. But it is. So how do we wait for God's timing? How do we live in the meantime? How do we live through the tough times? Well, it even tells us that in Habakkuk as well. Verse four. But the righteous will live by his faith. And everything's falling down around you, all you've got left is faith that God is God, right. that he is sovereign, right. that he is worthy of yeah. worship. Absolutely. It's all you've got. Yeah. You see, the reason that Judah are in the mess that they're in in the first place is they lost their faith that God was in control and they complained and wanted to do it their own way. And God said, go on then. Go on then. Uh, And it and it all fell apart. And then he said, right now, I need to judge you and bring you back to where I needed you to be in the first place. With the Assyrians and the Babylonians. It's that deep root of faith, like the tree we talked about. That is the thing that will get you through. There were times for me where I didn't feel I was living by faith. I didn't feel like I was. I was questioning everything. I didn't think anything was right. Actually, when I look back on it, I think, yeah, I was living by faith. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like it at the time. And you only see it in hindsight to so say, do you know what? How, how did I get here? Oh, because I clung on by faith. My, I, my faith in God in the end didn't go because it was deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted. And do you know the other reason why? A lot of people here. You see, God doesn't call us to go through it on our own. We go through it together. We support one another. When I'm down, you're up and you can help me. When I'm up, you're down, I can help you. We are a family. No one in, 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 in God's family lives alone. No one's called to be isolated. This is why you may have heard the phrase, you can't be a Christian outside of the church. You can try... But it doesn't work. Don't ever give up on God's family. However much you may feel like you want to, however much you feel like you might want to, they will get you through. There are people here that got me through. You just—it's priceless. God knows what He's doing. God knows what He's doing. And it brings you into a good and pleasant place. This is definitely that. <laughs> it's not a solitary thing living by faith. People speak faith into one another. There are people that at times will believe in you more than you believe in yourself. They will tell you things that you don't believe. And then you'll finally see. Oh, yeah, they were Right. Rob, you were right. (laughs) And you know, in the end, the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be judged. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about that now because that really falls over into the next part of Habakkuk. The wicked look like they're prospering, they look like they're winning, it looks like you're not. Don't lose sight, and if you've been at Bible school on Friday, where Simon, oh he's so good. Yeah. Wow, what a teacher. He taught on the future. And his very last point, and it came out of the slide, whirling round was victory. If you get really down, read the end of the Bible. We win. We win. We're on the victorious side. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, you are still on the winning side. The wicked will not prosper in the end. What it looks like they've got now is built on the sand. It's nothing. It will crumble. And we win in the end. Evil will be judged. I need to draw to a close because I can smell the coffee. (laughs) If you can put the conclusion slide. I think I've done a conclusion slide yet. So how do we respond to all this? Well, suffering does come. Okay, I'm just going to recap those three points. Suffering does come. It's part of life. How you respond to it determines how it ends and when it ends. My suggestion is respond well. Let's get it over with. (laughs) I know that's easier said than done. (laughs) Oh, I wish I'd. It's easy to say later on, okay? It is. Um, count your blessings. Count your blessings before you look at your troubles. Wow. It's just pure wisdom. It's not mine. It's just wisdom, that is. My great-auntie Mary, celebrating now with Jesus. Count your blessings. Because you've still got Lots. God is sovereign. His way is the only way. And you know what? He knows it all in a good way. He's a know it all. He knows it all. He's faithful in it all. And he never, ever gets it wrong. He never gets it wrong. Have faith today that the circumstances you are in, God has his hands all over them. And he's bringing you through them. And the last one maybe is the hardest, I guess. It's the waiting. It's the going through it. It's hard. It's tough. We need to wait for the solution. We need to wait for God's plan to unfold. But take heart. God's never late. He's always on time. Always. Always. So how will you respond today to what you're going through? How will you respond to God? How will, you, how will you go to him? What we need to remember is as we count our blessings, this is not some psychological feel-good claptrap stuff. It's about faith. When we count our blessings, we're saying to God, you're still God. You've still blessed me. Whatever I'm going through. When we count our blessings, we're worshipping God. It's not just about feeling good. It's about worshipping God. It's about being in his presence as we count our blessings. And I, th- I, think, that's the, I think that's the thing for today. I, I think that's what we need to do. We need to count our blessings. Can we stand? Yeah, let's stand together as we finish. What should we do? I think, I think we just need to count our blessings. Let's finish by counting our blessings. Let's finish by lifting our voices together and thanking God for all the things he's done for us. Let's thank him for his death, for His res- the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's thank him for those around us. Let's thank him for Whatever you can think of, your family, thank him for the good times. Thank him in faith for the good times that will come. Yeah. Let's do that as well. Yeah. yeah? Let's lift our voices together. Let's all do this. Let's thank God. Let's count our blessings. Let's do that together now. Thank you, God. Thank you God. Lord, I thank you so much that you are in control. That whatever we go through, it's because you're using it for our good. Lord, I thank you that whatever we go through, we still are blessed by you. We still have more blessings than we can count. Your mercies are still new every morning. Every morning we wake up and, God, we can say thank you. As a new day, I have breath in my body. I have a bed that I'm sleeping in. I have a roof over my head. I have a meal on the table. Lord, Lord, you have blessed us. Mm. You have blessed us just so much. Lord, help us to get our struggles into the right perspective. Lord, in the end, what we want to do is we want to worship you Mm. as our God, our creator, our savior, our redeemer. You're the one who set us free. You're the one. And we thank you for it. Lord, there are so many things we can thank you for. Father, I pray that even though we've looked at at a passage that talks about suffering and and all of that, that we will leave this place being buoyed up, knowing we're living by our faith in you. Encouraged that suffering comes to an end. Encouraged that you've blessed us. Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.